You're listening to the Startup Finance Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, a show entirely focused on helping you to build a financially fit and fundable business. On this show, we connect you with finance aficionados to impart their expertise to help your business grow. The Startup Finance Podcast is a production of Startup Canada, the national rallying community and voice for Canada's 2.3 million entrepreneurs. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcast to subscribe to this Startup Finance Podcast through iTunes and Google Play Music. This podcast is presented in partnership with MasterCard, a technology company in the global payments industry. MasterCard's global payments processing network connects consumers, financial institutions, merchants, governments in more than 210 countries and territories. MasterCard products and solutions make everyday commerce activities such as shopping, traveling, running a business, and even managing your finances easier, more secure, and more efficient. I am your host, Dr. Sean Wise, Professor of Entrepreneurship at Ryerson University. I bring more than 19 years' experience in seed investing, including five seasons spent supporting CBC's Dragon's Den. I've published dozens of articles for Profit, Inc., and even Canadian Business, as well as several best-selling books on venture capital, entrepreneurship, and pitching ideas. Want to connect with me after this podcast? Join me at 100stepstostartup.com. We're absolutely thrilled to have Eva Lau as our guest on today's Startup Finance Podcast. Eva Lau is a Toronto-based entrepreneur turned angel investor. She's currently the managing partner and co-founder of Two Small Fish Ventures alongside her husband, Alan Lau, the CEO and co-founder of Wattpad. Eva's been an angel investor since 2014 and is now an active contributor to the angel ecosystem across Canada. In today's podcast, we'll talk to Eva about her first angel investment and why she's so passionate about nurturing Canadian companies to scale so that they can become the next generation of tech giants. Welcome to the show, Eva. Well, thank you for having me, Sean. Uh, it's my privilege to be here speaking with you. Now, uh, for those of you people who are listening and don't know, Eva has an absolutely awesome portfolio. We share a, a, a couple of portfolio companies, but more importantly, in the short time that you have been doing this, you've already had not one, not two, but three exits. So I'm a big fan of judging people by their objective outputs. So congratulations on all you've done for the community and for entrepreneurs. Well, thank you very much. Um, certainly, uh, it's very fun and thrilling for me to be an angel investor in the ecosystem here in Canada. Uh, most importantly, every day while I'm sharing my experience with uh, entrepreneurs, they are also teaching me every day something new with their business opportunity. So I think it's not a one-way street. Certainly, it's a two-way street that we're work- walking on. Well, I think that you really embody not just the angel investment, but also the mentorship, the, 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 the guidance. And I think that's what makes it a two-way street. So we only have a half hour today. I could talk to you all day. But at the end of this podcast, what learnings do you want our listeners to walk away with? I really do think that um, for any problems, there are many ways to solve it. So for any entrepreneurs, when they are creating products to solve a problem, they should, in their mind, believe that there are other people trying to solve the same problem, maybe with a different approach. So in the end, 
how they are solving the problem with their products has to be unique enough that there will be people actually using it. But at the same time, depending on the type of products that they are creating, it will attract very different type of investors to come to the table. And that relationship is very tricky and it can really make your company grow very quickly or you may end up have a, um, a very bad marriage in a way with your investors. Well, absolutely. I think people take uh, for granted that investors are next to your co-founder and perhaps your spouse, the people you're going to speak to most, and nobody wants to work with a jerk for five years. No. So uh, I, I think people forget that aspect of it quite quite specifically. So I want to get right into it. And, and tell us about your background. How did you get involved in the early stage company business and entrepreneurship in general? So in the late 90s and the early days of 2000s, uh, I was uh, very fortunate and I joined Bryceburg Ventures. At the time... For those people who don't know, for those people who don't know, Breitbart Ventures was a pioneer in seed stage uh, startups before people even called them seed stage startups. They had an, uh, a couple of really very senior innovators, and, and it was an amazing place to look and work at. Matt Golden and a, a number of the people who are active today all came out of that family. So sorry for interrupting. Tell us about your early days as a product manager at Breitbart and how it was to work with many companies at once. Yes. Yeah. So at the time, they certainly was a pioneer in uh, the tech accelerator um, model because they built something called the Bryce Park Lab, and it was an incubator helping entrepreneurs to turn their ideas into uh, a viable product. And I work at Bryce Park Labs as the director of product development. And at any point in time, I'll be working with two to three companies um, and help them turn their ideas into products. So through that experience, I have seen companies, how they um, have only, you know, merely an idea and through sweat and tears and blood, they build a product, but it was still not working for the market. And certainly I have seen companies that have, you know, sweat their tears and blood and, and, uh, and sweat and build something transformative and actually get acquired. So that's how, you know, my experience with this, uh, with the startup really begin. Certainly, I caught the bug when I was, you know, working with the uh, uh, the software startup very early on after I graduate. But the Bryce Park experience certainly uh, shaped me to who I am right now. So let me focus on that for just one second. You said that the same a level of effort was put into company A as company B, but company A never found product market fit, never got the early traction. Company B did. You have seen a number of companies, and we'll get into your portfolio, go through that progression. And you've seen both in your personal and working life, some companies uh, work just as hard and not get there. In your experience, when you look at it from a high level, what does company A not have that company B does? Why does B succeed at finding product market fit in your direct experience while company A puts in the same effort and doesn't? I think, you know, a lot of it, um, you know, a lot of people may want to frame that as just luck. Um, certainly, I think I would not dismiss that it's um, one of the factor. But let me perhaps use Wattpad as an example. Then you could actually see how it could have been a flop or why we actually where we are right now. 
So back then in 2006, when Alan started the company with Ivan, um, the whole idea was mobile reading. They were betting on people who will be reading on their mobile phones and sharing actively like how they were sharing videos like on YouTube. But at the time, the market was just not ready. Uh, people were not willing to read only 10 lines of text on their Motorola Razor phone. And that's why we didn't have any traffic. The monthly revenue for Wattpad at the time was only $2. Now, if he had given up at that point, it was, I would totally say, you know, say that even right now that, yeah, if he had given up, then Wattpad was a flop. $2 revenue for, for a business is never, you know, it, it will never be viable. But because um, they have the tenacity or they were sigging and sagging, they didn't kill the product. They put it and let uh, on the side and let it grow organically while he, he and Ivan uh, worked on something else, uh, built another company to continue to feed the family. And now that's when the luck came in. But at the same time, I can say it's just a trans, uh, uh, an inflection point in technology. That was the introduction of smartphone, particularly the iPhone um, from Apple. The uh, formation of App Store, App World in the BlackBerry world, and you know the search of Android phones all in a sudden made mobile reading totally viable. And we capture that technology inflection point and grow to where we are today. So now, all in a sudden, Wattpad was no longer a flop back in the er you know uh, in the early days, like how it was in the early days. But it's a darling right now, showing how tenacity actually pays off. So I think you know I hope this Wattpad ex example can illustrate what I mean by um, every every startup could have the potential to become. Um, very, very successful, but at the same time, many, many factors comes in to make it not a success story. Does it make sense to you? I think that makes perfect sense, and it absolutely leads to my next question, which is, if they all have the potential, what could they do more of and what should they do less of? For instance, in, in my limited experience in the last sort of two decades, I find that today, companies that get closer to their customer prior to product development do better than companies who product develop and then go look for customers. But that's my experience. I, I'm wondering about, about yours. What can our listeners do and take from that success about Wattpad? You know, luck is hard to come by. Resilience is something that you have to practice. But what else have you learned from that experience? I'm so glad you asked this question because I think this is one of the things that I am literally preaching every day to whoever comes to me wants to share my experience. I think the most important uh, thing for any entrepreneurs that are sweating and, 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 and crying every day trying to build the, the, the company, they really need to know what value are they really trying to create with the product. So let me give you this idea, then you understand what I'm trying to explain here. So let, let's say, um, let's take Uber as an example. It's just very independent, like not, not anything that I'm related with. But I, it's a, Yeah, neither of us have a lot of Uber shares, I understand. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Although I'm sure both of us have taken Ubers. So, uh, so. Yeah, no, so I think it's a neutral enough example that and people can relate to, and I think it will be understandable. 
So I would assume, this is just my pure assumption, that when the founders of Uber trying to start uh, the company, they must be thinking about, let's solve the problem of, of um, people trying to get a ride. Um, taxi is, is, is expensive. Um, getting public transit is not easy. What if I can get a ride on demand? So that was the, the premise that um, I would assume that's the problem that they try to solve. So they came up the solution is to what if then anybody can offer their ride while they are commuting um, as a as a kind of like a a, a taxi service or, or ride sharing service. So they try to solve the, pro- the, the 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 car ride problem with a car sharing solution. But I bet you there must be a bunch of people at the same time trying to solve this problem through other ways, maybe. Um, making calling taxi easier so that they may have created an app and connect to multiple taxi company so that if I want, if anybody wants to hail an app, they can just use the app and contact this company or that company. And so they made an incremental change, you know, by just using the same old taxi where Uber made an exponential change by empowering people with extra room in their car to monetize it and to help those people who uh, the taxis weren't satisfied. I mean, I find that one of the best things about Uber is the rating system. You know, if, if, if a taxi driver treats me poorly, uh, what am I going to do about it? But when my Uber driver treats me poorly, I can actually do something that will have an impact and that that creates this feedback loop that gets to better drivers. But, right. But, so, but, so, yeah. So, so if you look at these two very different solutions, what I'm trying to get to is depending on which, which route or which route, whichever way <laughs> you want to say it, um, you know, to solve the problem of uh, getting a ride, the value of, of the product is vastly different. Because in the, let's say in the taxi hailing app, the value that the entrepreneur is, uh, is trying to create is to, ease the, the, uh, is to ease the connection of taxi company with the consumer and perhaps giving a little bit more flexibility for the consumer to hail a taxi. And the business model could be very different. It could be like a SaaS solution that they are providing for taxi company or some kind of uh, a revenue sharing, I don't know, like with, with different uh, uh, taxi company. Now, then that's the value of what they're trying to create. Whereas in the Uber case, the value that they're creating is vastly, vastly different because they are creating some kind of new value in their solution for ordinary people who are just driving cars or for ordinary people who just want to ride and don't care if it's a taxi or not. So the type of value is very different with the two different products, but they're all trying to solve the same problem. So what I mean by that is why one company becomes successful and why the other company becomes not so successful. It really depending on the value they try to create and what kind of, of the, um, what's the opportunity for them to capture those value through the different approach. So, um, uh, I think that makes perfect sense. I, I, I think what you're saying, especially if you look at the companies you've invested in, you know, you can see which of them are Ubers and which of them are the hailing companies. So let me ask you about that. You look at Jiffy, you look at, at Ada, you look at Hashtag Paid, Hubba, CareGuide, all of these companies. Let's assume we're having a New Year's party at your house and we invite the founders of all of those companies. 
What are they all going to have in common? Well, there's one thing. Other than your money. <laughs> obviously. But they, they have one thing very, very common. And this is my investment uh, thesis um, as in my angel investment. They all have very, very strong network effect in their product. So let's take. So not everyone knows what a network effect is, but I'll explain it quickly. A network effect is you have one telephone. Who are you going to call? Someone else has a telephone. Now you have one call to make. But as you move from one, two, 20, 30, 40 telephones, you have a network effect because everyone can call everyone. That's why Facebook is so powerful because it reaches into an entire network. Sorry to interrupt. Go right ahead. Yeah. So that's the perfect way to describe it. So if you pick any of my companies um, that I have invested they all exhibit the same thing. So let's take. Okay, let's do that. Let, let, let's take Jiffy because because I'm a terrible handy person. Uh, since my father has passed, I have no one to help me with handy stuff. And I, I was amazed to find Jiffy, which is sort of handy person on demand. And, 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 and it was absolutely great. So tell me about the network effect. Tell me about Jiffy and, and why they're the best example of your investment thesis. I think, you know, Jiffy, it's an excellent example to describe the network effect. Uh, let, me, let me start off this way. So the whole idea is on-demand house maintenance uh, service on the platform. So whether you ha- your toilet is, cl- is clogged and you need someone, some plumbers to help you or you need a paint job to be done in, in your, in your uh, daughter's room and you can call on to Jiffy. Now, the network effect of it is that the more different type of surfaces that come onto the platform, you attract a broader audience. So rather than just doing painting, uh, connecting painters with a uh, consumer, they are connecting a, 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 vast, a vastly diverse group of handymen. Now, that will automatically create a larger uh, network effect of attracting more users to come onto the platform. But what is more interesting in Jiffy in this case is that um, they also do a lot of optimization in terms of um, getting the life easy for the for the contractors or for the trades. So for those traditional uh, uh, trade people, like let's say a plumber, uh, they have to spend a lot of money or, or uh, resources in their back office, in their sales and marketing to get the funnel open. But now with Jiffy, they can use the tools that's on the system to help them optimize the day of work and perhaps even just promote and, and, and market within the network. And friends, friends will bring more friends onto Jiffy and say, hey, you know, last time my, my, my toilet was clogged, I found this guy and you can use Jiffy too, even though you're not in the same neighborhood, but they, they have service in, in, let's say, Markham. Rather than Toronto, they have it in Markham as well. So all of a sudden, I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, so so on a sudden, then they have a huge network of trades that grow not just only within a demo, uh, um, a, a physical location, they have it grow beyond by word of mouth. So you now have people coming into from Markham and say, "Hey, I need I need people to help me with the plumber uh, with the, with plumbing as well." Then the plumbers in Markham and say, "Hey, that's where I'm going to find customers as well. So why not I get onto the platform?" And that's how you kind of grow from a small niche into a much bigger community. 
No, and I, and I think that makes perfect sense. If you have a house that needs plumbing, then one day you'll have a house that needs electricians. Yes. If you have a, 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 if you can't hang up frames on the wall, then you're probably one day going to need someone to, to paint. But you know what? I, I, I almost think you're, you're oversimplifying it in a good way, but uh, Jiffy's secret isn't even that. It's that, that, that it's optimal for the trade people. I was amazed. I got an email or a text message a few weeks ago from Jiffy, which I had already authorized them to do, that said, so-and-so is in your neighborhood. Did you have any plumbing needs there? Because it's cheaper today because they're already in your neighborhood. So if I'm a trade and I got to spend three hours a day moving from X to Y to Z to do my work, that's all burnt time. But if I can do all my work and then get extra jobs because I'm already in the neighborhood, bam, that's the network effect. Totally. And I think, you know, what you highlight is that, you know, they have certainly optimized it for the trade in terms of operating their businesses. That's one very, very smart way to maintain the stickiness of the network. And I think what I'm trying to say is that I think for any network, there will always be different stakeholders. And however you need to optimize it for a specific uh, um, uh, stakeholder, that's how it shapes the network. So, for example, right now, if you look at Wattpad, certainly we have readers and writers. But we pay, you put a lot of effort to make the reading experience for the reader very, very well. Because... Those are the people who are going to be attracting the uh, the writers to come on. So picking the side of, of any marketplace or any network and be able to, to, to make that experience very, very well or even to the awesome level will definitely help grow that network organically. No, and I think that it'll also help you grow your revenues and your lifetime value. And as you suggest, it'll it'll lower your cost to client acquisition because you'll get some economies of scale. So if we're, we're back to your kitchen, it's New Year's Eve. I've invited in the founders from your portfolio, Jiffa, Ada, Hashtag Pag, Hubba, all those. One thing they all have in common is their business model all involves the network effect. Tell me about the entrepreneurs themselves. What would they all have in common? Well, they certainly all of them have grit, tenacity. And one thing, one thing, this is the, the most important thing to me. It's a big dream. Not all entrepreneurs have big dreams and not all of them should have big dreams because it's depending on the product or the problem they're trying to solve. So for me, because I am looking for uh, opportunities where I can help to build more tech giants in Canada. So entrepreneurs who have big dreams is a must for me. So if there's someone in the audience who has those big dreams, who has that grit, who has the network effect, you're a source of angel investment, but how do you like to be approached? Because people always ask, is it, is it better to see them in a conference and introduce yourself? Should you do a cold email? Let's assume they've listened to this podcast and they know that, that they fall in that category. So they're not hairdressers from Hamilton. <laughs> they're doing something, which is fine because our, our economy is made up of hairdressers of from course, Hamilton. There's nothing course. wrong with that, but that's not your focus. No. But let's say they do fall on that. How's the best way to go and approach an awesome, smart, strategic angel investor? Well, certainly if they have, uh, uh, you know, contact or a mutual friend or mutual contact and through referral, then I certainly will will definitely connect because I think having a middle person to to give you some credit, um, definitely it's, it's, it's great. But I think that's not the only way will work with me. I, I do, uh, one thing I do, and, and, and this is part of my give back um, actions to the community, is I, act, I work with a lot of accelerators 
in in the, the Toronto Waterloo corridor. So I frequent my I'm a I'm an associate at Creative Destruction Lab, and uh, I frequent myself in One Eleven. I frequent myself in DMZ, uh, even TechStar. I'm a mentor in TechStar. I go to Velocity often, and I sometimes make myself available to the community tech community in Waterloo. So, um, what I'm trying to say is that if you are part of any of those accelerators. Just contact your investor relationship person. They all have my email. They can totally make you a referral and connect with me. Now, if that's not the setting that you can, you know, uh, connect with me or or connect with, you know, any strategic investor, um, there are always uh, events. Um, or or you just read up, you know, read about me, and you just think that you have a great idea. Co email me. I I I respond to co email now. Well, people are always amazed that that I find that the the in the angel world that people will respond, where in more private equity, it's a little less. Common. For me, you know, my my whole my whole uh, desire is certainly you know find great deals to invest with, but most importantly, it's, it's sharing my experience. So, if there are entrepreneurs who would love to share, um, you know, hear my story, certainly they can listen to podcasts like this, but. Specifically for their business, you know, if my time is available, I'm I'm happy to give them feedback. Now, in in that in that particular statement, what I'm trying to say is that if you only have an idea and try to uh, connect with any investor, let me tell you, I think it's way too early. The reason is when you have an idea to solve a problem, I can guarantee you there are at least fifty people thinking about the same thing. That's exactly how well, we always joke that the only people who say they have no competition don't know how to use Google. But, you know, that's part of it for sure. But think about how Alan and Ivan came up with mobile reading separately at the same time. That's a classic example of like you thought you have an idea. Someone had it as well. Right. So if you only have an idea, but you didn't actually put your ideas into action, it's way early to engage with any investor, because an idea is, allow me to put it, cheap, but execution, it's king. So if you can actually build a prototype or get a few friends to uh, 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 co-found a company together or, or people who just share your, your passion and just build a prototype to show that you are taking this seriously rather than just you know thinking it in your head, that's, that's more meaningful than just say, oh, I have an idea. Can I ask you about your opinion? That that to me, it's not fruitful for anybody's time. You know, I spent five seasons with dragons then, and, and that was a very hard lesson for a lot of people to understand. <laughs> but I think it's a it's a balanced lesson too, though, because the, the cost to do MVPs, the cost to create prototypes, the cost to, to test a minimum viable product isn't so large. I mean, when we started in the 90s, it was in the 2 to $5 million range. And, you know, now it's in the $200 range in a Shopify account. Mm-hmm. You know, it's uh, it's easy to test. But I think more importantly, it shows the investor that you have access to the customer base. You have knowledge of the customer base. You can actually deliver uh, a prototype, as ugly as it may be, if it's still being used, that speaks volumes. Would you agree? I totally agree. I think it not only shows that, you know, you have the uh, access and things like that, but it shows that you are someone who's actually get things done. Like there are many people, like if you talk to any high school, oh, I want to high schooler, I want to be a doctor, I want to be a dentist, I want to be whatever, but 
whoever actually put actions behind their work and study hard and get into dentistry and get into med school, it's only a, always a small fraction of people. So same thing, building a startup. Oh, I dream of this idea to solve world's uh, 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 carbon dioxide problem uh, for the greenhouse effect. Well, do something rather than just tell me your idea, right? So I think, you know. Even on a small scale, exactly. it proves the viability, but it proves that they're backable. It, it, it proves that they actually have the passion and knowledge and in a way, not necessarily all the know-how, but enough know-how to, cr- to start cracking that market. Obviously, not no one can do everything and they need a lot of uh, you know, help from others and that's why they need investors to have money in the company so that they can hire people, hire talents to continue on the, onto this journey. But before any of this happens, the, the founders have to show that they do have that tenacity, they do have the skill set and knowledge to really try to make the vision a reality. So- in, I work with Ryerson Futures, which is a, a seed accelerator on campus, and you've helped us out on a number of occasions. Uh, and a lot of people ask is, how early is too early? So I always like to tell people that y- you shouldn't look for outside money until you've committed outside money or outside time and generated enough evidence that you want to quit your full-time job. You know, you don't have to quit your job while you're testing, but to go and ask an angel investor to fund you, but you're not taking any risk by quitting your job – it's sort of a no-brainer. So for you, right, what's too early? Too early is, uh, I agree, like if you actually have not quit your job and bet your life on it, I think it's way too early. Like it, to me, um, that basically... Um, they want you to take the risk while they're not taking the risk. Exactly. They want you to put your money up, which you made very through hard work, but not put their money up. Exactly. And, and allow me to say there will be angel investor who are willing to do that. But let me tell you that those angel investor may not be the most interest, you know, have the most interest alignment with you uh, because to, to invest so early, um, either they are your parents, then that's fine. <laughs> they, they always bet on their kids, but if they're external investor, investing well, friends and family is great though, because yes. friends and family, they're going to see every Kwanzaa, every Hanukkah, yes. every Diwali, every Christmas. And so it's good to have your yes, friends and family. Absolutely. And it means you're really dedicated. But for external investor to going on that early, I, I just feel that they, they, either um, not very experienced or they, they're just trying to kind of um, get a, a huge share of your company extremely early on. And, and I just don't think that that's the wise things to do. Like I actually have come across entrepreneurs um, that say they, they have a full-time job. They came up with an idea and they just say, you know, I know, I know all these people and, and I have a, you know, I have a great career. And if I go raise money just on this idea, I can. And I said to him, well, go ahead. But I think, that is just not going to doing anybody any service because uh, the investor uh, certainly didn't necessarily understand the space that you're going on and just ba- taking it on face value. And, and that's not smart for, for everyone. So for me, I think, you know, um, the, the, the best time to raise funding is certainly you put enough skin in the game, meaning that you may not have salary for a year or maybe even two. And in Alan's case, it was three. <laughs> and, um, but at the same time, um, build enough so that you you can show people that you know this space and you are on track of cracking the code to become to make it a reality. And I think that will be the the best time to engage with investors. And depending on 
the type of investor you engage with, they usually will want to kind of, you know, have a, a longer relationship rather than after two meetings and they say, yeah, money in. It's more like, okay, great, great idea. But I would like to see you achieving this, this and that um, in, in this time. Yeah, come back in six months when you have yeah. some early traction that's or right. when you found problem solution fit that's or right. when you have something that's unique. Yes. So let's flip it. Let's go to the other side. Um, if I, I can only use the public information, but, but my records show that uh, you've been investing so as far back as 2014. Mm-hmm. And it looks to me like you've made ten to twelve investments. I well, Am I close. Actually, that that's the old number. Um, I I did a tally up uh, a few days. Uh, I would okay. say a few days, a couple months ago. Um, up till okay. now, the you know by the end of March of this year, I've made uh-huh. twenty investments. Uh, so that's incredibly high, but it's not as impressive as this number, <laughs> which is it looks to me within that four year period, you've already had three exits. Meaning you have backed a company that has grown to a sufficient size as to attract someone who just said, I must have it. Give me everything. I want it all. And you had three exits as opposed to most VCs, which might take seven years and deploy way more capital to way less companies and have that. So what's the secret? What are you seeing that others aren't? I think, you know, um, you know, to qualify what you said, uh, I had to exit. And, and, and the third one was more um, an exit. Uh, through advisory. So I didn't put money in, in Bistrip. I w- we, we were just advisors with them. and um, but, but all these three axes was certainly made us proud, especially uh, with Skip the Dishes and, and, and Bistrip. Um, they, they, they um, you know, with, with the Acquirer being just eat for Skip the Dishes and Snapchat for um, Bistrip is certainly is something that we all very happy and, and cheering for. And, and the secret of it, allow me to put it, um, I would say that it really works for our model of being a smaller check investor who brings more value than the check size. So in many cases for big VCs, so let, let's just take perhaps Snapchat as an as a as an uh, example. I mean, uh, Bistrip as an example. Certainly, when they raise funding, uh, there are other VCs who wants to get in, and they will always have to compete because they have certain uh, financial model that they have to fit. They have to let's say own fifteen percent of the company with let's say uh, no more than uh, twenty million valuation. They all have these very rigid rules to guide the inv- investment from a financial uh, modeling perspective. For us, uh, in Two Small Fish, um, we actually don't have those. I, I am investing in companies who are trying to be a tech giants, who have strong network effects. And my check size is so small, and I don't necessarily have to have certain, you know, own certain percentage. That gives me so much flexibility to get into opportunities that are actually on the rise and you know too bad for some big VCs they cannot get in but I can because not only um, they can accommodate my check size they appreciate my experience um, that will be bringing to the team so I think that's part of unique for me uh, I don't necessarily think that I'm just uh, uh, whatever way smarter than people but it was just because I, I we had we are fortunate enough to have the experience of building Wattpad and, and mentoring other startups throughout our careers that made us special investors. So it's more than 
the money that they're looking for, but they're looking for uh, a partnership who can help them in growing their business. So I think we're just very lucky in that in that way. Oh, I don't think it's luck at all. I think it's hard work, preparation, inspiration. I think it's great. I could talk to you forever, but but uh, unfortunately, we only have so much time. Uh, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners who 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 may want to 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 follow in your footsteps, either uh, on the entrepreneurial side or on the investment side? I think you know, uh, having been an entrepreneur and also someone who have in the tech ecosystem for so long, I think for um, Whoever is listening right now, I I would like to, you know, loop back to what I said in the very beginning is to look at the value you're trying to create with the product. If the value you are creating, it's going to be a small one. That's perfectly fine. Um, You're trying to build a product for a niche market um, that it will never grow beyond. I don't know, like uh, I'm I'm just trying to think of one, you know, it will never grow beyond uh, a 10 million or 20 million type of. Uh, rev- which is fine. Which is There's nothing wrong fine. with that, but it's, you can't get an investment return that a, a, an angel or a VC right. wants. So, so for that, they would have to understand that, and they should they should then try to model their business so that they don't need investor money. They may want to take some debt. Um, or Kickstarter, or, Kickstarter. or, yeah, or exactly. client financing, That's or strategic right. so financing. There are totally different ways to get your dream come true. Now, but if one day you actually look at the product and say, oh my gosh, I have created this product and I am sitting on this gold mine and I really don't know how to what to do with it. Or or I need someone to give me some guidance to to help me unlock the value of, of the of the company. Then that's the, the best time to actually go talk to more experienced entrepreneurs or investors to be you know use them as sounding boards to give you fresh insight fresh perspective of how you can perhaps grow the business beyond what you you were, you were intending to and maybe when you know you are actually on a way of building a tech giants and you just didn't know and if that's the case dream big really big canada needs more tech giants canada need more aspiring entrepreneurs who are not afraid to create tech giants who are not afraid to transform the world. And I look forward to connect with those people. (laughs) Well, Canada needs more Eva Lau. That's what I'm thinking right now. This is the Startup Finance Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network. I'm Dr. Sean Wise, and it's been my absolute pleasure to talk to Eva Lau, the, the managing director and co-founder of Two Small Fish Ventures. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It certainly is my pleasure to share my experience and thoughts with, with the larger audience as well. And tell people where they can find you. Well, they can totally find me um, on Twitter. And my handle uh, is Mrs. Eva Lau. And I'm on Instagram as well. And if they have any ideas they want to pitch to me, they can email uh, to pitch at twosmallfishventures.com. Thank you for joining us this week on the Startup Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to providing entrepreneurs with advice and experiences on startup finance. Want to access more resources and support to grow your business? Visit startupcan.ca to gain access to support, resources, and events, and 
Be sure while you're there to check out all the other original Startup Canada podcast series on the Startup Canada Podcast Network.